Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services. We hope you enjoy. Amen, amen. All right, well, you may be seated. Well, uh, welcome. What's up, guys? How you doing? You all right? You doing all right? Well, uh, I'm glad to be here with you guys, and if you're new, welcome. My name's Matt, just a dude that works here, and excited to be here with you guys, opening up God's Word, excited about it. But before we hop into where we're headed today, here's a question um, I want you guys to turn and discuss, all right? Um, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being best week you've ever had in your life, one being not popping, um, where are you at, right? So turn to some people around you, 10 best week you ever had, one, and then talk about like a high. What has been like a high of your week? Not that you got high, what is a high of your week, all right? Turn to a neighbor, ready, set, Go. All right, all right, bring it on up, bring it on up. All right, show of hands, uh, where are we at this week? Would you, you can show me. This is like, a, like I'm a youth pastor, you can participate, you can participate. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Some of you guys are too cool or what? Like, it's like, like, cool, all right, sick, all right, cool. Well, uh, all right, I'm, where am I? I said I'm an eight, right? Here's why. Um, my, uh, my daughter learned to crawl this week, which is uh, like a big accomplishment, right? But, like, I don't know if that's, like, an accomplishment yet or, like, I'm really stoked on it because, like, now I'm worried. You know, like, now she's, like, crawling around the house and she's going to, like, grab, like, a fork and, like, stick it into an outlet. Like, I'm freaking out, you know. So I'm the dad that's, like, paranoid. You know, I'm trying to get, like, you know, guards around everything or whatever it is. So uh, I'm a little nervous about that. But good to be here with you. Maybe my eight will turn to a nine um, by spending some time with you guys today. So uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to go with me to the book of Romans. Now, if you're new, uh, welcome. Um, We've already done 11 talks through the book of Romans, so uh, good luck. Uh, No, I'm just playing. But uh, the book of Romans, uh, week in and week out, um, it's an important theme. Can someone please tell me what the theme of Romans is? I think I've said it every single week now. Anyone? The what? The righteousness of who? Of God. Yeah, nailed that. Always God. It's in a church building. The answer of God is probably pretty safe to say. Something of God or Jesus Christ. Always safe, good answers, right? Of the righteousness of God. Now, can someone define the word righteousness? Bang! It's working, guys. To be right with God, right? You were born not right with God. That's a problem. You are destined for hell. Your natural default is not heaven. So therefore, the good news of Jesus Christ is that you can have a righteousness that's not yours, a right standing with God imputed. Does anyone remember what the word imputed means? We talked about that like week four or five. Given to, transferred to. I used that IRS analogy back in the day. But like uh, given to, transferred to you and I. So that's a gift. It's good news that you are not right with God. But however, through your faith in Jesus Christ, his right standing with God can be transferred to you. That's good news. Now, today, um, we're going to be going through Romans 5, verses 3 through 11. We're going to attempt to. I'll be honest with you. I wrote this. I don't know where we're headed today. I don't know how we're going to land this, land this, uh, this airplane or whatever it is, but we're going to figure it out together. So uh, last week, we did two verses. I want to read them for us really quick. I spent an hour talking. I spent 45 minutes just doing two verses yesterday, or last week. It says this. Follow with me. Romans 5. I don't have a verse for this, so grab your Bibles. I'm in the ESV. It says this. Therefore... Since we have been justified, that's the legal term. Justification, justified, means to be declared right. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is the medium in which uh, you can be made right with God. If you want the peace of God, you need to have a f- faith in Jesus Christ so that you can be at peace with God. That's how that works, right? No other religion, no other worldview can get you right with God. That's what that verse is saying. It says this, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
brings us to this week. Grab your Bibles. Uh, Romans 3, I think I have a slide for it. It says this. Uh, do I? I do have a slide. You want to give me a slide so I can follow along? It says this. All right, it says now, it says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Hold up. How many of you guys have ever like stubbed your toe and you're like, thank you, Jesus Christ? Like how have you guys have ever suffered in your life, broken your wrist, that like girl broke up with you and you're just like praising the Lord? I mean, maybe in hindsight, you're like, bro, she was tragic, but, or whatever it is, right? Like, or, you know, but like, <laughs> or that guy broke up with you and in the moment it was like, my world's ending, but then you realize like he sucked uh, and it was a good thing, right? But in the moment, how can we rejoice in suffering? That's perplexing. That is odd. That, that's, that's kind of weird. But here's another thing, right? The truth is all of us are going to suffer. I mean, just in the last maybe 36 months, really, COVID, quarantine, that whole season, you could probably give out some ways in which you have suffered. I know the word suffered is a really potent word, but like in some sense of a way that like some trials and difficulties and, and some, some really just hardships have entered into your life over the last 36 months or so. And if you're not, if you, maybe you're just not aware of them, but the truth is we've probably all suffered in some sense. The way all people endure some type of suffering, it's a certainty, I'm kind of reminded of uh, the parable that Jesus once told called the wise and foolish builders. If you know your Bibles, it's found in the book of, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um, but it's an interesting story. Now, a parable, let me define it really quick for my friends here that are like new to the whole Jesus thing. Welcome. Parable, it is a heavenly story. I'm sorry, it's an earthly story designed to communicate a heavenly truth. Earthly story. So Jesus would look out at an audience like this and go like, um, survey the audience, see some people in the audience, and kind of conjure up, create a story that would meet these people where they're at so they could have some steps moving forward in faith. And so it is a earthly story that Jesus told that designed to communicate a heavenly truth, that would unlock about what, what the human condition is like, what it looks like to follow Jesus, what heaven could be like, what the personality of God could be like. That's what a parable is all about. And so he tells a story about these two builders, and these builders are building a house, and they choose a foundation. Now, the foundation in the house, the house is synonymous for your life. It's an analogy, a metaphor for your life. And the foundation is where you choose to invest your life, where you choose to build your life, right? And so he kind of goes through the story and he says, look, there's going to be a storm, like there's a storm for all of our lives. And the storm and the wind and the wave, and it all comes in like an ocean. And the house that was built on the sand, although probably easier and probably more pretty and a bunch of things like that, when the waves and trials and temptations and all the struggles and hardships of life come in, it falls with a mighty crash. But the one that was built in the rock stands. Follow with me. Matthew 7, 25 says this. It says, and the rain fell and the flood came and the wind blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The rock is God's word. That, that's, that's, what it, that's what Jesus is talking about, the rock of his word. I want you to notice with me something really interesting though. It says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on the house. It wasn't if the rain, if the flood, if, if, if. The reality is all of us, all of us are going to go through some type of storm in our lives, we'll endure some type of suffering. If you haven't yet, you will. And what that means is that obedience to God's word or obedience to Jesus' words is not protection from the troubles, it's protection in the troubles. It's not always protection from the troubles, it's protection in the troubles. Here's what this means. You're probably not gonna get to decide what happens to your life every single waking moment of your life, but you do get to decide who, are you, who you are becoming in those happenings. That is what's in your court. That's what you get to decide. Not what happens to me, but who I become in those happenings. That's what you and I get to decide. And so the idea of like rejoicing in moments that are difficult and the happenings that are out of, my, out of my control is kind of a weird concept. Suffering, rejoicing and suffering is weird. But when you kind of think about it, right, like Christians are kind of a weird bunch of people. Like this has kind of been lost on me because I've been one for like 11, 12 years now. And, you know, like I'm in this, like this warehouse is like my life. I'm in it so much. But then I kind of remember walking through these doors for the first time and hearing things like, I remember hearing like, 
why are they singing about blood all the time? Like, weird? Like, 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 there's, like, there's songs about the blood. There's songs about this. It's just kind of like odd. You, like, you hear it for the first time, especially if you're here today and you're like new to this whole Jesus thing. You're like, these people are weird as crap. Like, what? It's weird, right? And, then, and then, then Christians do this weird thing when they initiate new people into the faith that want to like, join God's family. We dunk them like in a jacuzzi or something. Like, that's also weird, right? You dunk them in like cold or hot water, right? And then you hold them under depending on how long they sin. No, I'm just playing. But like, you know, there's all these things, right? Like, and then like on a regular basis, Christians pass out crackers and some good grape juice, and then they say we're eating the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Like you think about it, like Christians are like odd. Like we're a very weird bunch of people. But the weirdness of Christians is all the more apparent at a funeral. I remember um, my, uh, my wife's grandfather, he was a pastor for 70 years, and uh, going to his funeral and observing the way that the church that he was pastoring at grieved and, and was suffering through his death. And it was so different than the way that my family a year or so before grieved my dad's death, who wasn't a believer. Like it, the stark contrast, one was like a celebration and one was like, how are we going to get over this? This has so wrecked our family that, that we have no hope of things getting better. And the other was like, I can't wait to see him one day. I can't wait to show him what God has done in my life since the time that God took him back home. See, I saw Christians at that funeral crying and grieving, but they did almost with a real hope. And the hope was so vivid. I remember this uh, one other funeral I went to. It was like, literally like, People were wearing like Hawaiian shirts, like because it was a favorite type of shirt. It was it was just perplexingly different than if you've ever been to the funeral of someone who does not have faith in Jesus Christ. There's no hope there. And if you go to the someone who's lived out their faith and truly has a flourishing relationship with God, the hope is tangible. It's like in the air. Like you can, like it's vibrant. It's it's vivid. And so we have to ask the question: Why? Why is it that Christians can suffer? Why is it that Christians can grieve with some type of hope? And the answer is simple. We've been learning about this week in and week out and week in and week out because the grace of God that's given to us in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're not familiar with the grace of God, it means the kindness of God towards sinners. I'll say it this way. We rejoice in knowing that God is the kind of God who literally loves the hell out of people. That's the kind of God that we have. And a God that loves so, like, even loves enemies is what we're going to learn about today and we learned last week. And so when we think of like suffering, and we think of grieving, and we think of Christians being odd and weird, Christians are really odd in suffering. Because suffering for the Christian can have positive outcomes. I, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to spend the whole day talking about death, but I remember uh, in 10th grade, I was uh, at the 24-hour fitness right over here. And um, 28 days before that, I was sitting in my house, my, my parents sat me down, and they said that my grandma, um, who was like a third parent, like she basically lived with us, I loved her that she had cancer, and um, it was so progressed that the doctors couldn't do anything, and so they decided not to even do chemo or anything like that and just wait it out. My grandma also had dementia, and so every seven to ten minutes, she would forget why she couldn't stand and why her stomach, and we'd have to say, Grandma, you have, you have stomach cancer, and what? And, and for every ten minutes till the day that she passed away, we had to retell her this narrative of her life. And so... 28 days later, I get a phone call from that moment, and I'm at the 24-hour fitness. I'm in 10th grade. And my dad's on the phone, and he says, hey, your grandma's not doing so well right now. She looks like she's going to be taking her last breath. Could you make your way over and maybe say goodbye to her? And so I remember just bolting out of the gym, running as fast as I could from the 24-hour to the hospital right over here. And I ran into the room just to say goodbye to my grandma as she slowly passed away. Here's why I tell you that story. Because shortly after that, it was the first moment in my life where I was confronted with the reality that 
my heart may stop one day. It, it, won't, it will. It will 100%. The truth of your life and mine, like I said last week, is people will go to your funeral. That's a certainty. So it was at this moment that as I kind of realized the reality of death that I began to ask questions and seek and, and realize, is there a God asking questions? And I'd learned to start making faith a priority. And just a few short months after that, I started coming here. And so as I look back at that season, I realized that there's an awareness that suffering has done something of almost supreme value in my life. Although I would have never chosen that, it did something good in my life that I can rejoice in the reality that through that suffering, it brought me to Christ. So let me ask you an important question. Have you ever suffered for something good? Let me change the question. Have you ever suffered and something good came from it? If you struggle to answer this question, it's because you have yet to surrender your suffering. You have yet to give over that relationship that just ended. You have yet to give over X, Y, or Z, insert whatever it is. You have yet to give it over to God for God to produce something good with it. It continues, right? Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces. Highlight that word. Suffering does something in your life. It accomplishes something. It's productive. It's a value. <laughs> uh, I don't know if anyone else in here has children, but um, I remember uh, February uh, first of this year, I'm at the doctor office with my, my wife, and, and the doctor goes, hey, we, you need to deliver, like, today. And we're like, 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 wait, like in an hour, like, today? Like, and they're like, yeah, like, there's some complications. Like, we, we got to rush you to the hospital now. And my wife and I were like, what the? So, like, we hop in the car, and we make our way over to the hospital, which is just the building adjacent to where we were, and they start pumping our fluids and things like this. And I'm like, my whole world's spinning. Like, oh, my gosh, I came into this hospital not thinking I was going to walk out as a dad. Like, this is crazy. Like, we're like a month away. It's crazy, right? All these, all these things. And my wife, going through the process of childbirth, by the way, is wild. Uh, like, my gosh, right? I have like, way more respect for my wife. It's rough. <laughs> so, like, she's screaming, yelling, and a bunch of other things. And all throughout it, though, there's a sense of joy that she has. It's perplexing because in the midst of this childbirthing process produces what? A child. And the suffering produces something that's worthwhile. I've never heard, at least of a loving mother, that says I wouldn't go through that again. The suffering produces something worthwhile. And the believer, the believer can rejoice in suffering too because they know something is better is coming. The suffering produces something that's worthwhile. See, everyone can rejoice after suffering. But to be able to rejoice in the midst of suffering is something I think only the believer gets the capacity to do. I've often been perplexed by studying ancient uh, church history by the way that a lot of the disciples died. Now, I've done some like, research with you guys uh, uh, when we did the this, this series, The Creed, like a while back. Um, 11 out of the 12 disciples died horrific deaths, being filleted open, their skin, um, you know, cut, like, ripped off, um, their heads, you know, chopped off. Uh, the, one of the most gruesome ones was where they'd be dipped in wax and lit on fire um, while they were alive, uh, where you would get horses uh, on a tie rope to all four limbs, and all four horses would go in four different directions. I mean, it's horrific ways. Peter was crucified upside down. Um, and I go, like, what possibly could make them do that? Like, be willing to die these horrific deaths. I heard this one story of a, a follower of Christ that was, was going to get burned alive. And the entire time, and this is around the 1700s, 1600s, he's making his way over to the stake in which he's going to be burned. And he's singing, like, worship songs, like hymns. And there are people that are, like, Extra biblical writers, people that aren't found in scripture. Obviously, this was written, this story is in the 1600s, so 1600 years after these pages are written. But start writing like about this guy's life and how he's like, not that he's crazy by any means, but that he finally walks over to where he is going to be hogtied and that the wood behind, on the 
what is that? Uh, the wood, uh, the wood on, the, on, the, on the, the ground around him is about to be lit up on fire, and so he's up there, and he's just singing and singing. And so finally they light the fire, and he just starts singing louder and louder and louder and louder and louder, all while looking up towards heaven, saying, I just can't wait to be with you. Like, what possibly could these people be experiencing? What could they know that would allow them to so abandon this life because they know that something better is coming, that something better awaits them, that suffering would produce something that's worthwhile? Okay, so what does it produce? Well, in the next section of verses, we find a chain reaction almost of what suffering can produce and how it can be worthwhile in the life of a believer. It says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Tons here. We're going to break it apart kind of slowly. This is the first time, though, that he's spoken to the Holy Spirit since chapter 1. It's also the first time he talked about something else we'll get to in a second. But Paul's going to talk about the Holy Spirit 20 more times in chapter 8. We'll get to that in a handful of weeks. But here's the thing. Suffering creates an opportunity for the believer because it can be a ministry. It doesn't have to lead you to ministry or misery, I'm sorry, because it can be an opportunity for your character to grow. And so let me ask you a question, like, or let's ask a question together. What's the suffering that Paul is talking about here? And it's, it's the grind. It's the day in and day out kind of stuff of life. It's the larger things like, right, your, your dreams not coming to fruition exactly like you wanted to. It's that guy or girl breaking up with you. It's the suffering that we've all endured. It's a bad diagnosis. Or yes, it could be even the loss of someone that you love. It's just the, the idea that life brings its own hardships. We've all experienced hardships, all things that we'll experience. And so Paul tells us there are four things, four things that suffering produces in our lives. First, suffering produces endurance. Now, in some of your versions, if you don't have the ESV, it may say perseverance or patience. But the Greek word means to abide under, to stay under the pressure. To abide under or to stay under the pressure. See, pressure is something, right, that we want to get ourselves out from under. But Paul is saying that suffering can make you into something better. Suffering can make you into something stronger. Suffering has the capacity to grow your empathy and compassion and capacity. I think the best translation for the word endurance here from the Greek is actually probably the word um, either steadfastness or uh, steadiness, a sense of anchoring in who you are. Uh, a handful of years ago, uh, I was in, uh, I, I got on the, uh, this trip that I wanted to go on for a long time. It was uh, the footsteps of Paul. So I went to Turkey and Greece and Rome and, and uh, all the places that Paul wrote letters to. And I'm sitting at the, the, the Colosseum and uh, I get a phone call from uh, Cody, he's a pastor, he's my brother-in-law too. And, and he said, hey, uh, our high school pastor just left. Um, and like, we need you to like be the high school pastor. I'm like, when, when is he, when is he leaving? He's like, well, he's leaving like Wednesday and like, you're going to be the pastor like Wednesday. And like, my plane lands on Tuesday. And I was like, sick. Uh, okay. Like, okay. And then a little backstory behind all of that. I just took over young adults for the first time. I was like 24, 29. So yeah, 24. So, and, uh, the average age of young adults when I first took it over was probably 30. So 30 to 30, between 30 and 35 was probably the average age drastically older than it is today. And there's probably, I don't know, three times the, the amount of people maybe. Um, but like, you know, I was like, I was like a kid. They were 10 years older than me and I'm like trying to like lead this ministry. It was, it, was, it was challenging to say the least. At the time, there was a guy that I was having take over junior high and he ended up not being exactly who I thought he was and he ended up lying to me and just kind of like quiet quit on me one day basically. Came in, made a bunch of promises and then never showed up ever again. And then I found out he was a pastor at another church and some other things. And there was this season where like literally from one week, I became the pastor over three ministries. I had seven services and no employees, and I was working 70 to, 80, 70 to 80 hours a week, dying, like just suffering. All the friends that I had abandoned and, and, and went to other churches. I remember meeting with one friend uh, years ago that I, I took him to a restaurant near here, and he's like, dude, what do you need from me? I'm in. 
And I was like, dude, this is what I need. I need to participate in young adults in these ways, X, Y, or Z, run the greeting team or whatever it is, and ghosted me. Then I found out that a lot of like the leaders that I've had, and I've had literally thousands of people come through this warehouse, including young adults, probably 15,000 people have sat in the chairs that you're in right now. So I've made a lot of friends over years, and I guess I've made a lot of enemies because I've heard people through the grapevine say some pretty ill and, and, and mean things about me. And honestly, it was just a season I look back that was really lonely. I remember my wife and I, we, we, we thought of like, should we just give this whole ministry thing up? Like, this is just hard. Like, we're lonely. We have no friends. Anyone that we do befriend eventually leaves. Or, or It's kind of like being in ministry, like you think it's not what you think it is. It's, it's, it has the capacity to be really lonely. My wife and I, we fasted and we prayed, and we felt like God was just, through our fasting and through our praying, was saying, hey, stick through this and persevere. I have something better for you. Just struggle through this. And I'm, honestly, I'm so glad we did. I mean, now I have, like, I have like such an incredible team. I love what I get to do um, from all the different staff that we have. And like, I have a, like a, a, our, our staff is like a family here. I would have never got to any of that if I quit. I would have never developed the tenacity or the steadfastness or the anchoring if I've never gone through that. And so now when change comes, when a staff member uh, decides to leave or a leadership team that I have to be involved in is toxic and I have to fix it, I don't panic or bail out. And that's what Paul is talking about here, that suffering produces a sense of endurance or steadfastness, an ability to continue to move forward even when things are difficult. And if I didn't go through that season of suffering, I'd have never produced that quality in my life. The next thing that suffering produces is character. I want you to write this down or get a tattoo of it. Suffering accelerates your character growth or desolates it. Suffering has the capacity to accelerate or accentuate, whatever word you like better, your character growth or absolutely destroy and desolate it. Think of how many people excuse themselves to do destructive, harmful, or toxic things after a hard season or a, or a hard day, after, uh, after finals, after they graduate, after they X, Y, or Z. I mean, think of it this way. Or I can think of it this way. I can only imagine how different my childhood would have been if my dad after a long day of being yelled at as like a, being a police officer, decided not to reward his long day of suffering with a glass of whiskey. How drastically my life would have been different. What you reward yourself with actually illuminates a lot of who you actually really are. So ask you a question. What do you turn to in difficult moments or moments of high pressure? What, do you, what, what naturally do you, do you turn towards? What do you think that you deserve after, uh, after, uh, after suffering or a season of hardship? Where do you go to get comfort? See, these things grow you or kill you. Here's why. Pressure does not change who you are. It reveals who you are. And when it reveals who you are, you then can decide who you're going, who you're going to be and how you're going to change. Pressure reveals character. See, the world counts everything but character. It counts your GPA. It counts your Instagram followers. It counts your, uh, how much money you have in your bank account. It counts your degrees. It counts your credit scores. It counts calories. It counts literally everything. We, as, God peop- as God's people, need to be more proactive at counting character because that's the only thing that truly matters. So let me ask you some point, like, pointed questions. Are you growing in the character of Christ? For those of you in this room that would say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you're not, then the answer is no. Why? That'd be weird. So are you growing in the character of Christ if you are a follower of Christ? Let me ask you some more pointed questions that may help illuminate your answer. Are you generous? Are you growing in generosity? Yeah, I think I'm a generous person. I gave like a meal to a homeless person like 12 years ago. Cool, sick. What percentage of your income have you given away in the last 12 months? I didn't ask, I didn't ask a, a specific a dollar amount. I said, what percentage? And is that percentage indicative that you are a generous individual? <laughs> Jesus abandoned all sense of comfort and wealth. 
Let me ask you another question. Uh, for those of you guys that like would say you're self-professing Christians, you're in church, you're serving, X, Y, or Z, are you growing in the character of Christ? Are you still having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, even though week in and week out, you know it's not the thing that God has sex for marriage? Are you still watching pornography? For those of you guys in college, are you still cheating on your tests? Are you a person of integrity? That's what God wants the most change in your life, is your character, who you are when no one's watching. So as God's people, we have to ask, how is my character? Am I growing? Am I maturing? That's, that's how you know you're growing in who Christ wants you to be. And you start reflecting him more. Romans 8.28, right? We're going to talk about it in a second, but Romans 8.29 is an interesting verse. It talks about, um, that was the cue for the band. You guys don't have to come up yet. Uh, they're going to lead us in one more song in a, in a bit. <laughs> Romans 8.29 talks about being conformed to the image of his son, that that's the good thing that God wants for you. And if you were here a while back, my buddy Chris Hilkin shared the story of his wife uh, committing suicide. Um, a handful, uh, about a year ago now, and that how he's in that suffering with five kids, he's seen the goodness of God displayed in his life. And he has an incredible message on suffering that um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Follow with me, though, in, uh, in verse three and five. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. You know, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. That's the theme of what we've been talking about the last few uh, weeks, and hope does not put us to shame. Let me ask you a question. How many of us have learned the hard way and we've, that we've placed our hope in the wrong things before? I mean, just think of the last maybe, I don't know, few years of having hope in safety, uh, hope in the stock market, hope in the housing market, hope in uh, the political candidate of your choice, hope in cryptos taking off, that was mine, um, hope in health, hope in government, hope in the vaccine, hope in, hope in whatever it is. I think what we agreed, or at least what we discovered over COVID is that everything this world has to offer us is a false hope, that it cannot deliver on the promises that it promised that it could deliver on. It is a hope that leads to, and what Paul teaches us, is to shame, which just means disappointment. Follow with me, verse five. I hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, to my mind, right, this is one of the most important verses in the entire book of Romans because it is adding a thought that we had not yet heard about yet. Number one, it, first, it, it secondly mentions the Holy Spirit for the second time. But number two, this is the first time the love of God is brought in into the entire book. We've been talking about wrath. We've been talking about you being a sinner, all this other type of stuff. And now, five chapters in, he finally talks about the love of God. It says this. It says, the love of God that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, this is why suffering is of great value because it produces something. It's also important that you know that suffering does not automatically produce positive results. I know some Christians, and I'm sure you know some Christians who are suffering, going through a difficult season or whatever it is, and they're bitter and they're resentful and they're angry, even to the point of denying their faith. So you can go through suffering as a Christian and be filled with anger and rage and resentment against God, or the opposite. So what's the difference? The difference is in seeing your suffering as evidence of God's love or evidence of God's wrath. The difference is in seeing your suffering as evidence of God's love, and then I'll say, and not his wrath. See, if you think that hardships come into your life because God is angry at you, you will develop angry towards God because he's, you believe he's angry at you. However, if you think hardships come into your life and they have the possibility to grow you, your outlook on those hardships and difficult moments will be entirely and totally different. Or for those of you guys that like are in sports, or those of you who work out, you'll know this. Muscles only grow under the presence of pressure or strain or difficulty. The same is true with our character. The same is true with our spiritual growth. The same is true with you trusting God. So I'll ask you a question. How will you know if you've trusted God if you've never trusted him with something before? 
I think I trust God. Okay, tell me the last thing you trusted him with. When was the last thing that you said, God, I give this to you? What, not my will, but your will. What is it? Is it a relationship? Is it your finances? Is it your future? Have you said, God, maybe I'm not in the, in the degree I'm supposed to be? When was the last thing that you placed in God's hand and said, 100% your control? See, we make statements like, I trust God. I, I trust God. When was the last thing you trusted with him? Trust is a verb. <laughs> it's, it's, it's you doing something, giving it over. Follow with me in verse 6 through 11. While we are still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. During Christmas, I'm going to talk about that the appointed time in human history, 2,000 years ago, God sent his son. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, a good person, though perhaps for a good person one could dare even to die. But God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, that we offered God nothing, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled. That's relational language. Reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What does all this mean? We're going to unpack some of this in future weeks, but let me just give you a few things now. What this is talking about is turning from sin and turning towards Jesus unlocks the possibility for you to be reconciled to God. I'll say it this way. For you to be at peace with God, as you turn towards God, you can have peace with God so the peace of God can enter into your life. We talked about this last week. I said peace is only the byproduct of something, and peace only comes through surrenderance. And so if you lack peace at this moment in your life right now, it's most likely because you're holding on to something you shouldn't be. Or you're doing something you shouldn't be doing and saying, God, I give you control over this. I surrender this to you. And so here's the idea I want to camp out for just the remainder of our time together. In verse 9 and 10, it says this, Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Here is the idea that I think is so powerful. I want to, I want to kind of camp out and just kind of end here today. The idea is that Jesus Christ got the wrath of God so that you could receive the love of God. Now, let me kind of illustrate to you why this is so amazing. Because when you and I surrender to God, you'll realize that Jesus received wrath so that you could receive love. That the Son of God was treated like a sinner so that sinners could be treated like sons and daughters of God. And what this means is that if you are suffering and you are a believer and you have placed your faith in Christ, it is not because God is punishing you. I know in the midst of, of suffering, in the midst of difficult moments in your life, the enemy of our soul will whisper into our hearts that you're suffering because God is angry with you. God is displeased with you. You did something you shouldn't have done. Remember I told you three weeks ago, I said the primary way that God now interacts with you is not a police officer to a criminal or a judge to a criminal, but it's a good father or to a son or a daughter, regardless of what you do. You watch something you shouldn't watch. You do something you shouldn't do. That the primary emotion that God still has for you, even while we are still sinners, is love. And so I know in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our difficulties, the enemy of our soul is going to whisper into our soul that you're suffering because God is angry with you, that he is punishing you. He is not. He poured out his wrath on the cross so he could pour out his love on you. Think of it this way. It would be unjust for God to pour out his wrath on the cross and you. And so when you and I are suffering... We need to know that it's not God who is punishing us. Next thing I want you to know is this, and why this is really so important. You and I will never run to God as a comforter if we think he is the object of our abuser. You will never run to God as your comfort if you think he is the one causing your suffering. 
that if you think God is hurting you, you'll never run to him to heal you. And this is exactly what the enemy of our soul wants us to do, run away from the very God who can heal us by making us believe he and he alone is the one that's causing us harm. And at some level, I know each one of us have experienced this. We've thought this. This has entered into our mind. I remember in the process of when I was losing my dad, I got into, there was a ch- chapel in, in, the, in the hospital. I mean, I was on life support and I ran into the chapel. I got on my hands and my knees. I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like, I'm a good person. Like, I'm a pastor. Like, why is this, why is this happening to me? Did I do something wrong? Are you, are you angry with me? See, it's important that you know that God is not punishing you because punishment for your sin and my sin was already paid for at the cross. And so the reality is we live in a world that's just not the way that it's supposed to be. God, this is not the world that God originally wanted, and it's evil, and it's wicked, and it's broken, and it's vandalized, and it's, it's faulty. It's not the world that God wanted it to be. And what that means is that not everything happens as God willed it to happen. And even though God doesn't cause everything to happen, he can use everything that has happened in your life if you give it to him and recycle it. So don't waste your pain. Don't waste your suffering. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, it says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So let me kind of end tonight with this. You may have not been able to decide all the things that have happened to you, but with God's spirit, you can determine who you're going to become in spite of the things that's happened to you. The truth is, I don't know everyone's story here, but I'm willing to bet that each one of you, in some sense of the way, you have endured some type of suffering or some type of pain or some type of emptiness, and it stems from your family of origin issues, where you didn't have a parent that was really involved in your life, or something tragic happened to you, or whatever it may be. See, your greatest opportunity for you to experience the love of God in your life is by giving him that which has caused you to suffer most, or that which has caused you shame most in your life. I'm going to say this again, because this is important you understand this. Your greatest opportunity for you to experience the love of God in your life is by giving him that which has caused you to suffer most, or that which has caused you most shame in your life. And so as we end today, our worship team is going to lead us in one final song. And I love the song they're going to lead us into because the theme of the whole book of Romans is the theme of the song, which is the power and healing that Jesus Christ can unleash in our lives. And so tonight, I wanted to end just with a worship song because worship always shifts our focus from what is happening and what has happened in our lives to who God is and what he has for us. Put your arm around somebody and I'll pray for us. Father, today I, uh, I reflect, God, that you're, you're a God of hope. And you're a God that does miracles. And Father, I ask that regardless of whatever's happened in our lives, whatever lies we've believed about ourselves, that you're a God that can rewrite our future. If we give you our past, if we give you our shame, if we give you our hurt, Lord God, you can do something incredible with that. And so, Lord, over the next few songs, or the next song, I just pray, Lord, that you would illuminate, God, in our hearts the things in our lives that we need to trust you with. And just at a mention of your name, that you can change everything in our lives. Father, we love you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.